This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this morning in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Our scripture reading is the first 23 verses, 1 through 23 of Mark 7. Hear the word of God. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashen hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashen hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without or outside a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, He saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, 
because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 36. Lord's Day 36. The Catechism is expounding upon the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Lord's Day 36 asks, What is required in the third commandment? And answers that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that He may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that His wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing. It undoubtedly is, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. And therefore, He has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Heidelberg Catechism has been leading us through the Ten Commandments to show us how we might show our gratitude to God. We show our gratitude by doing good works, the Catechism has explained. By doing good works that is out of a true faith to the glory of God and according to His commandments or His law. And as we approach this third commandment that we want to obey out of thankfulness, I remind you that the first table of the law is especially applicable to worship, to the formal worship service. A couple of weeks ago, when we considered the second commandment, we distinguished between the formal worship service and our daily service to God. A distinction 
There is worship in church, as we call it, and worship in our daily service throughout our lives. The first four commandments, all four, first four commandments, speak to both our worship in church as well as our daily service. But there is special application to our formal worship service. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. We saw that that commandment explains whom we are to worship. God alone and no other gods. In daily service, of course, we may not worship, trust, glorify, love anything or anyone besides God. Or more than God. But we saw also that it applies to our formal service. That when we come to church, we may not have false doctrine. We may not be worshiping a God different from what the Scripture shows us. And the second commandment about the manner of our worship, we said that that was that we have no graven images. And the commandment we saw applies to all of life. We, not, we may not make any graven images to represent God. None at all. But the special application to our formal worship service was that we include in our worship service no graven image, but we include in our worship service also nothing that God has been silent about. The regulative principle derived from the second commandment is that we may worship God only in the manner that He has called us to worship with in His Word. And everything else is forbidden. And now this morning we again emphasize how the third commandment also applies to our formal worship service. The first commandment is about the object of our worship. Who? The second commandment is about the manner of our worship. And the third commandment is about the heart of our worship. The heart of our worship. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We are not to worship God in vain. Positively, the Catechism explains that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence. That gets us to the heart of worship. In connection with this third commandment, we read Mark chapter 7, where we find Jesus speaking about a way in which the people of His day broke this third commandment of taking God's name in vain. In verse 6 especially, He quotes from Isaiah to address the sin of the people of His day. You hypocrites, He says, as it is written, this people honoreth Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. Such is to take the name of God in vain. Related to that, Jesus also speaks about false doctrine. Verse 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship Me, teaching for doctrines 
the commandments of men. They said, Thus saith the Lord. And then they taught something that was different from what God said. Such, Jesus says, is to take God's name in vain. The Pharisees, even of Jesus' day, used their doctrine, especially about the law and their man-made laws, to keep from obeying the true law of God. You reject the commandment of God that it may keep your own tradition, he says. Verse 9 and verse 13, you're making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition. The Pharisee teaching was such that they made their own doctrine and their own laws and then used them to help themselves and the people to avoid keeping God's laws. Such is the breaking of the third commandment. The vain use of God's name and word. We consider the third commandment as the Catechism explains it under the theme, Christ's law. Christ's law against vain worship. First, the reverence required. The reverence required. And then secondly, the vanity or the vain worship forbidden. And then finally, the heinous sin. The heinous sin against the third commandment. God's name is holy. That's the principle behind the third commandment. That is what is at the basis of the third commandment. The reason why we must not take God's name in vain. God's name is holy. The Catechism brings that up, and briefly we read, that we use the holy name of God. No otherwise than with fear and reverence. Catechism points us to the basis, the holy name of God. And to understand that basis, you must know that the name of God is the revelation of God Himself. That's the definition of the name of God. His revelation of who He is. When we think about the name of God, we often narrowly think upon the proper names of God. The holy names of God like Father and Lord and Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. And there are many other proper names that God gives us in His Word that reveal to us who He is. These names are not merely labels for us to identify God as our names are often, but they are names full, heavy with meaning. Each proper name of God is meant to reveal unto us God's very being, His very person, His very character, His holiness. If God Himself is holy, then His name which reveals unto us Himself, must be holy as well. The name that the third commandment brings up in particular, the proper name, 
that the third commandment brings up is the name Jehovah. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord. All in caps, which refers us to Jehovah God. The covenant name of God. Especially that name, though any name of God. But especially that name, Jehovah. We must not, we may not take that name in vain. It's a revelation of the covenant God to us. More on that in a few moments. But when Scripture refers to God's name, it's important to realize that it is not only referring narrowly to the proper names of God that we have just mentioned, but it is also referring to any special revelation of God's name to us, or God to us. Really, any word that you find in the Bible that reveals to us God is God's name. God's name, I said a definition, is a revelation of God Himself. So His attributes, for example, His goodness, His graciousness, His mercy, His holiness, His awesomeness. These are included as words that we may not take in vain. They are His names. Any doctrine, the sacred doctrines of God, His justification of us, His election of us, His regeneration of us. Such doctrines, precious doctrines, not to be flung about and used however we want. These doctrines, as they reveal God and His saving work of us, are to be considered as His name. God's name is holy. It is set apart to be treated with care. If we are to attack His name, we do not merely attack a word. Children, just as if, if I were to say your name, and then attach to your name a bad word, you'd, you would not tell me you're simply attacking a word. You would say you're attacking me. And so to attack God's name is not merely to attack a word or a doctrine, but it's to attack God Himself, His holiness. To treat His name without care is not merely to treat a word without care, but it's to treat God without care or carelessly. Holy and reverend is His name. Psalm 111, verse 9. Behind the third commandment is this principle that His name is holy. Behind the third commandment is also this principle very much related to the first, and that is that His name God gives to us in love. His name He gives to us in love. We as people do not know Him by nature. We're by nature ignorant of Him. We have no relationship with Him by nature, and we, in fact, hate Him. We're not merely ignorant of Him. We're in darkness so that we hate Him and His name. In His love, however, to us who are enemies by nature, He gives us His name. He reveals to us Himself with His name. 
think of that name Jehovah, I said I would come back to that name. That name in particular means the I am that I am. And in His Word, when He shows us this name, the covenant name of God, that means that Jehovah says to us, His elect, His people, I am, not I was or will be, but I am, always have been, always will be, Thy God. The Lord, Thy God, the commandment itself says. You belong to Me. And I to you, Jehovah says with that name to His people. Because I am, eternally I have loved thee. And unchangeably will I love thee. That's the covenant name of God, Jehovah. And when He reveals that name, not only to our ears, but to our hearts, we know the power of that name upon our souls. The Spirit takes that name Jehovah as He does even as you hear His name preached this morning. And there's a peace, there's a comfort that we may feel and we may enjoy. This God is a God of great, eternal, unchangeable love toward us. His people. He gives that name to us in love and that is especially revealed in the name Jesus. That's not different from Jehovah. The name Jesus means Jehovah salvation. And so to see Jehovah, that name especially, most profoundly is to look in the Scriptures and find Jesus as He is revealed everywhere. For in Jesus Christ, His name we see especially the covenant love of God that God would send His own Son to us sinners to take upon Himself our sins, to suffer and to die in our place, that we might be redeemed and that we might be brought into fellowship with Him now and forever in covenant through our mediator, Jesus. What a name! He gives that name to us in His love, Jesus said in John 17, verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me, the elect, out of the world. He doesn't reveal his name to just anyone and everyone, head for head. Especially, he reveals that name to you, his people. And to know his name means you don't only know about him, but you are in a relationship with Him. We say in our daily relationships, I know Him on a first name basis. To speak of a close relationship with that we have another, with another person. And though there is a different relationship with God, a, a, a relationship in which we must revere Him, we know Him by name. And He knows us by name. We can call upon His name in prayer. He is our friend we may speak to by name. What a beautiful concept. And far more than that even. He gives us His name in the sense that He calls us by His name. So that we not only have the ability and right to call Him by name, but He says, 
my name I join to you. I baptize you in my name. You have the name Christian, the name of Christ attached to your name. You are the people of Jehovah. So you see, to take the name of God in vain is to take that which is a precious gift and use it with ingratitude. It is to take the name of God that He gives us in His grace and His love and to desecrate that which He has given to us. It is to take the holy name of God and treat it as though it is unholy. That brings us to two purposes of God's name. Two purposes that God gives us His name. I've implied that already, but this is what we will bring up again and again through the rest of the sermon. And that is, first, the purpose of His name, why He has given His name to us is that we might know Him. That we might know about Him and that we might know Him also in a relationship. He gives us His name for that purpose. That we might know Him for the first time even, coming to faith, to know Jehovah, who we did not know before, saving knowledge. That we might continue to grow in our knowledge of Him, our God. And second, the second purpose is that, that we might praise Him Two basic purposes. That we might know Him, and in knowing Him, and knowing Him more, we might praise that name of God so that, the Catechism says, He may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us, be glorified in all our words and works. Praise the name of the Lord, the Psalms repeatedly say and command us. This is the purpose of God in giving us His name. That we might know Him and that we might praise Him. And so, children, it's very easy to understand how we would take His name in vain. A very easy way to understand how we take His name in vain is if we do not use His name with the purpose for which He has given us His name. If we use His name for any other purpose than to know Him and to praise Him, we are using His name in vain. It is a purposeless. If there is a purposeless use of His name, it is to use His name in vain. So the positive requirement is that we take His name with fear and reverence. Fear and reverence. Notice that is what the Catechism says, the positive requirement. Take His name no other way than with fear and reverence. Using it for the purpose that He has given it to us to use it for. Use it. Take His name. To take His name, as part of the commandment, is to carry His name. We can carry His name with our thinking or meditating. We carry His name with our ears by listening to His name 
as it is preached. We take His name upon our eyes when we read His name. We take His name with our hands when we write His name. Or in our day and age when we maybe type His name or text that name of God. We take His name upon our lips, especially when we speak His name. We take His name in many different ways. And we should. That's part of following the third commandment. Positively, we are to take His name. We are to carry His name. He has given His name to us for the very purpose of taking His name so that we might know Him and praise Him. And so, one way to break the third commandment is to neglect the taking of His name. Interestingly, the Jews were afraid, many of them, to take the very name of Jehovah upon their lips. They thought that since Jehovah's name is so holy, and it is, and the third commandment explicitly forbade the taking of Jehovah's name in vain. They thought it best then not to use His name at all because then that would risk the desecration of God's name. It's best not to use it, they thought. But that itself is the breaking of the third commandment. God gave us His name to be used properly. And so... I ask you an application. Do you take God's name? Parents, how often do we take God's name upon our lips, upon our minds, and speak His name to our children in careful instruction? We don't leave it only to the schools, though we have good Christian schools that help us in that endeavor. But we as parents must take God's name and may not be silent with God's name as we instruct our children that they might know God and praise Him. Husbands to your wives and wives to your husbands, we ought to be speaking God's name to each other, teaching and admonishing one another, witnessing to each other. We are to sing His name around our dinner tables, call upon His name in prayer, There is too often an eerie silence. That's a sin of omission. An eerie silence regarding His name as we interact with the people at work or as young people interact with each other. We ought not be ashamed to speak God's name, to refer to His providence, to refer to His grace and to His comfort. We ought not fear that people will think of us as too religious. We are not to have our minds so busy and occupied with the other things that God has not taken on our minds and on our lips. Take His name for knowing and praising Him. And then when we take His name, we must do so with fear and reverence. Fear does not mean children scared. We should not be scared to take His name. But there ought to be a respect, a revering of Him in our hearts as we speak His name and think of His name. 
and listen to His name. An illustration is this. I derive it from the word respect in Scripture. The word respect and even the word glory, glorifying His name, has the idea of heaviness or weightiness. God's name is heavy or weighty. And the illustration is that of the Ark of the Covenant. Think about the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box of gold in the Old Testament. And it was heavy. It was something that the Levites were supposed to treat with great care. And four Levites had to go on the four corners of that Ark of the Covenant and carry it in a specific manner that God commanded them to carry that heavy, that weighty Ark. So God's name, heavy with meaning, heavy with value, the precious gift revealing God Himself, we are to take, not like Uzzah who thoughtlessly and mindlessly touched it, but we are to take carefully like those Levites. We are to take it. His name, and carry that name with us throughout our lives with fear and reverence, not vainly. And vain would be the opposite of heavy or weighty. Vain is lightly, as though it is nothing that we may handle without care. The commandment means take His name not lightly, but with heaviness, weightiness. For learning, for knowing, and for praising. The vain use of His name is prohibited, especially now we apply it to worship. Not only in worship, but particularly in formal worship. Because it is in formal worship that we especially take God's name upon our ears. And we take God's name upon our minds. And we take God's name upon our mouths. We take God's name upon our eyes as we read His name and His Word. Here we call upon His name in congregational prayer. Here we hear His name preached. Here we sing His name. Here we administer the sacraments in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here we confess His name in the Apostles' Creed. We take His name quite a bit. And the convicting truth is that as soon as our hearts wander while we worship with His name, we break the third commandment. Jesus' words in Mark 7, verse 6, quoted from the prophet Isaiah, are convicting what he describes as hypocrisy, he says is this, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When we sing God's name, when we sing God's name mindlessly, we take His name in vain, or when we sing and we are admiring perhaps the sound that we make or the people that sing well, 
Rather than admiring Him, we take His name in vain. When the benediction is pronounced in the beginning or the end of the service, and we mindlessly receive it, we take His name in vain. When in prayer we are distracted with our business, or we're distracted with basketball, or distracted with sleep, we take His name in vain. When the doxologies are sung and the creeds are confessed with what Jesus calls vain repetition, we take His name in vain. When God's Word is read and preached, and the speaker or the listener is not carefully speaking and listening to God's name, we take it in vain. For looking to praise the preacher rather than the Christ whose name is proclaimed, and we take his name in vain. Our posture outwardly reveals the posture of our heart over critical attitudes that look for something to criticize rather than seeking for edification is a vain use of his name. If we come impenitent, continuing in sin without any sorrow for sin, holding grudges against others as we worship, we take His name in vain. There are so many other applications, but such as a sampling to help us apply this in worship. Significantly, Jesus in Mark 7 especially refers to false doctrine, taking His name in vain in that way. This particular false doctrine, he says in verse 7, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. What Jesus is doing is criticizing the, the false doctrine of legalism. Now any false doctrine, when a preacher preaches false doctrine and says this is what God says, and then speaks of something else, that is the taking of God's name in vain. Jesus especially condemns the false teaching of legalism that the Pharisees, Pharisees taught. They taught traditions and rules, and traditions and rules are not wrong of themselves to follow, but they taught traditions and rules as God's law, imposing them upon God's people and saying this is what God says that you must do. Such false doctrine, such legalism, is taking God's name in vain. And then notice that Jesus especially condemns not only legalism as the false doctrine which takes God's name in vain, but he condemns the kind of legalism that leads to antinomianism. We often think of those as opposites. We've seen before in God's Word that they aren't true opposites, and here we see that again. The Pharisees taught legalism that led to antinomianism, meaning the breaking of God's true law. Verse 9, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition or your own man-made laws. Verse 13, Making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition. With their man-made laws, they made God's true law of none effect. And he gives the example in verses 10 and following of the Pharisees that especially condone the breaking of 
the fifth commandment, honoring mother and father and all authority as a commandment that we may break as long as we keep certain laws. As long as you follow certain rules, you are righteous enough that the other laws did not matter. The keeping of certain rules condoned the breaking of God's true law. That's what happened in the Pharisees' day, in Jesus' day. So, beloved, do not take any legalistic rule or even any true doctrine of God's Word and use it to condone the breaking of God's true law that Jesus specifically condemns as vain worship. The taking of His name in vain. Vain use of God's name, of course, is not only that which takes place in formal worship, in the church setting. Vain use of God's name takes place in our daily life as well. The Catechism mentions first, cursing. Cursing is slightly different, children, from what we normally call cussing. Cursing is to call down from heaven some judgment, something bad to come upon another person. And though God's name may not be explicitly mentioned, a curse implies God's name. So that when, for example, damnation is spoken against another, or the F word is spoken against another, sexual harm, or when hell is spoken against another. Any curses imply the name of God that He bring down upon another person. Such curses. To speak of such curses flippantly and rashly, and to wish it upon someone else is to take God's name in vain. Perjury and rash swearing, the Catechism mentions, are a couple of other related ways to take God's name in vain. Perjury is to lie or to give a false testimony when you are under oath, usually to do so in an official, an official setting like a courtroom or a consistory room. It is to say, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and then swear that you will before God, and then to lie. Rash swearing is similar, only done in an unofficial setting. When you are with your friends, perhaps, and you say, I swear, such rash swearing for no good reason, without careful consideration and prayer, is to take God's name in vain. 
But when you say those words, I swear, you mean you swear before God. Perhaps the most prevalent form of taking God's name in vain is in the form of exclamations today. You hear it all the time. To cry out to God in true prayer, Oh my God, is proper. It is good. You are to take God's name in that reverential manner in prayer. Cry out to Him. But to take such an exclamation without thought is to take His name in vain. It doesn't matter whether you abbreviate it as the world is doing today. O-M-G. Or any other name of God in His Word taken and just repeated with an exclamation point without thought. Such mindless throwing about of God's name is to take His name in vain. Nor by our silence, the Catechism says, or connivance, be partakers of these horrible sins in others. That might be the most convicting part of the Heidelberg Catechism. That when we hear, and we do hear, others take God's name in vain, we are not to be silent, but we are to speak up, lest we are complicit. That's what connivance is. That we become guilty of the same sin that they are committing because we do not speak against it. Now, we do not always have opportunity. That is true. But when there is opportunity, we must express in some way our disagreement. Meekly, humbly, before God, for the glory of His name. To be silent when we have opportunity is to break the third commandment. Related to that, young people and beloved people of God, if we become wicked in our behavior before the world, and they know we carry the name of Christ, Christian, our works, our sinful works, can be the occasion for them to blaspheme God in Christ's name. And if we are the occasion with our works, our sins, for the blasphemy of God's name, we are complicit in their blasphemy and guilty of breaking the third commandment. A special application in our context as well. Beloved, I warn you against that mischievous side of us to pick up certain periodicals to read certain blogs, and you know what I'm talking about, to listen to certain clips of sermon recordings that you heard were particularly bad, to listen to former members and ministers write and speak things that are wicked and done also in the name of the Lord. And we give the excuse sometimes, well, I just want to keep up with what is going on. But that sinful side of us is entertained 
in a sick way with that kind of talk, sensational as it is, it certainly doesn't help edify us. It doesn't help our humility. But worse, it is to take God's name upon our ears, upon our eyes, even though we know it's going to be spoken against, to take that name in vain. Be careful, beloved, of our intentional pursuit of words that are wicked and spoken against God's name. Is this sin so bad? The third commandment is a commandment that shows us that this sin is heinous. The catechism says heinous, horrible. It means that God hates this sin. It's an abhorrence to Him. It is abominable to Him. His wrath is kindled, the catechism says. There is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of His name. What is perhaps the most prevalent sin in the world and perhaps the most prevalent sin in our lives and minimized in our lives even, the catechism says, is the greatest. It's the greatest. Now admittedly, there are degrees. There are degrees of sin. Some sins are worse than others, even when we talk about the third commandment. For example, willful blasphemy against God's name by a minister of the gospel is worse than a child distracted by his brother in devotions. There are degrees of sin against the third commandment. And yet, all sin, particularly against the third commandment, is heinous, the catechism tells us. It's so great that He has commanded this sin to be punished with death. The commandment itself says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Meaning, God will hold you guilty who takes His name in vain. And one word, one sputten, as the Dutch put it, one mindless speaking of God's name deserves the judgment of God. Guilty. And as you know, not just death in this life, but forever in hell. And so we repent and must repent as we stand before God's law again, sorrowing for our sins, not using the great sins of others against the third commandment to uphold our own righteousness, recognizing our own sins against the third commandment, humbling ourselves and seeing that we are the chief of sinners 
We have been vain in our worship. We have abused and profaned His name, taking it lightly. We have committed heinous sin and and deserve the judgment of guilty and death now and in hell. But along with that repentance, I call you, believe. Cast yourself upon Jesus Christ. Turn to Him. The law is meant to drive you to the cross again, so that seeing your sin, you might be broken there. May your heart be bent by His Spirit to lean upon Jesus. Jesus only. You cannot save yourself. You must lean on His name. A name that is above every other name. The name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The only name. Jehovah Savior. The covenant name. The I am that I am who has come in our human flesh to take upon Himself our guiltiness. So in the words of the third commandment, the Lord did not hold Jesus guiltless, but held Him guilty as though He was the one who took God's name in vain through His life. He was declared a blasphemer, officially even, and was cursed for our curses, endured hell for our vain worship. And all the while, he was sinless. He who took God's name, Jehovah, was perfect even with perfect reverence, that in our place, He carried God's name with perfect fear and reverence to represent us, and then was judged guilty for us. Believe in Him. And in knowing by faith that this Jesus is your Savior, There ought to, there should well up within you by His Spirit through faith a thanksgiving. For Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins. He has justified you in spite of your sins before the tribunal of God. And now He says, having saved you out of thanksgiving, out of thanksgiving, here is my law. Know me, with my name, magnify me with my name, live for me by glorifying my name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jehovah, the name of Jesus Christ. Let each one who believes seek by the power of Jesus' Spirit to live in holy reverence and fear for the name of of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray as Jesus has taught us to pray. 
hallowed be thy name. Thou art our covenant God, Jehovah. The I am that I am, eternal, unchangeable in thy love, and covenant with us thy people through Jesus Christ. With thy name preached today, give unto us a greater knowledge and a greater praise. And forgive us, we pray, when we in our weakness, even today, have used thy name in vain. Our best works, we confess, are tainted with this sin. Forgive us for Jesus' sake and sanctify us by his Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail.com. Thank you.